justice for the blind just something that'll find in the all right all right all right good afternoon everybody it is march 27th this is episode 23 of the 476ers podcast uh, and we have a special uh, treat lined up. I have a guest on the line. His name is Victor. He is a coach in the city. He also is a teacher of young minds, molding the generation of of the next generation that will hate our generation. Uh, <laughs> he is also a coach. Oh, I said he's a coach. Uh, I am also better than him at basketball. And I will mention that on every iteration of this that I do. Uh, Victor, welcome to the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh man thanks for having me on Brian oh it is an absolute pleasure uh so today we got a treat uh looking for good ideas obviously everything going on not a lot of basketball going on if you're paying attention uh and so we decided we would draft or redraft the 09 NBA draft which is famous for Steph and other people um and a lot of podcasts have done this, but we haven't done it. And in order to be respected, we're going to do it and make this our corner. Uh, so, Victor, are you ready? I'm ready. All right. I have a spreadsheet and everything for this. And I also, I think that, I honestly think we're going to have, I, this is going to go one of two ways. We're going to be really yeah. on point with each other, or it's going to go off the rails almost immediately. After I think after the first three picks, it's either going to fall apart or we're going to be pleasantly surprised that we're so we're so close to each other. Yeah, I mean, I got a feeling we'll probably be closer to each other than we think, but hopefully not. It'll be more fun that way. Yeah, oh yeah, because I, I, nothing like a good argument. I may just make up arguments. Uh, <laughs> if you know me, you know, I'm, I am someone yeah. who likes to argue. Um, yeah. So with that said, I mean, the first three picks, I think, are pretty much, I mean, I, I, I don't even think it's really a question, uh, in my opinion. I'm going to go ahead and read uh, off my first three picks. I think you'll probably agree. Um, okay. I have uh, Steph going first, James going second, and Blake going third. Yeah, me too. Although I thought maybe a part of you would put James first just to be argumentative, but... Yeah, no, I, I could never get that cute. I mean, I, I it, you know, it's I don't think it's a bad argument. And I think that there's mm-hmm. like a, a great way to expound on this. That's kind of like Steph and James represent two completely different sides of the of the spectrum. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Of where the NBA is too. one guy who is super duper uh, team focused and um, sacrifice centric almost in Steph and James, who is just so totally an isolation player. Um I had mentioned on a different podcast that this uh, draft would probably would go down as significant as the LeBron draft. Um, and while there's no one as great as LeBron is, I mean, this draft really represents where the NBA is today more than any draft, probably or arguably ever. Mm-hmm. You know, otherwise, yeah, like you would go back to Magic and Larry that draft, right? Because like the LeBron draft is just like LeBron and D Wade are two superhuman versions of things we've seen already. Um, but Steph and James, I mean, I mean, I, we can't even say we've seen James before, right? Like right. James Harden. I mean, it's just a completely different monster in reality. And Steph, I mean, Steph, we've never seen before. So, um, uh, yeah, the top five draft for sure. I mean, depending on how you feel about like 96, 84, 03, and then this one, 2009, like 
in top five all time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I, well, mm-hmm, go ahead. My three are are the same. The the stats on on the, on James and Steph uh, are just ridiculous. Like the win share, they're both over a hundred. Mm-hmm. Uh, the VORP, which is like the points uh, over a hundred possessions over a replacement player, mm-hmm. like James, like sixty three. Mm-hmm. Steph is fifty. Like average players on this on this two thousand nine list are like eleven points. So like they are head and shoulders above um, everybody else. Like even like Blake Griffin in comparison, like yeah. his win share is on like seventy five. His warp is thirty one. So like he is very much a distant third, which is the irony of it all that he was head and shoulders mm-hmm. the number one pick that year. Like it wasn't even close. Yep. It was the Blake Griffin lottery that year. No, and, and it's funny. It's funny that you bring that up because, and and I think you may have a similar uh, experience here. If you, we probably both forgot our list from from Basketball Reference. And mm-hmm. if you organize this list by VORP or WinShare, I mean, it's almost what my top fifteen looks like. Um, mm-hmm. Is it's almost like I just filtered it or I just sorted it by WinShare or VORP, um, and I didn't. You know, I just said, okay, this is how this is how I think it would get drafted. And it just worked out that way, which makes me believe that, you know, I was like, ah, I did a good job here then um, yeah. on how I view it. And and one thing to mention about Blake, which I think is an interesting conversation now, considering where the NBA is now and how we view Zion, for example, is is how Blake it, coming out of college. What would people think Blake is now? Everyone knew he was a power forward then. But now, considering how the power forward position is, if he came out of conversation uh, out of college, would people just say, you know what, he, his destination is to be a center, right? I, I would think. Yeah. You know, so I think that's interesting. What's also interesting about this is, uh, so that would mean that Steph goes to the Clippers first, which becomes a huge what if because that means the Chris Paul trade could happen, but I don't know if it does happen at that point. Um, mm-hmm. And which then means Steph is weathering the storm of uh, of what's his face, uh, this racist fuck. Donald Sterling. Yeah, the Donald Sterling storm, uh, which I think Steph, I mean, considering what Steph has done, especially over the last couple weeks, even with this whole coronavirus stuff, I mean, you'd probably be one of the more equipped superstars to handle it. Um, James ends up on Memphis, which uh, turns grit and grind into a completely different thing. I mean... Mm-hmm. You're saying now James is getting, but who? It's so hard to know what James becomes because I remember. I don't know if you remember this. There was like a quote from James Harden. I was like, "It's something along the lines about him not wanting to be the main guy. He didn't think he was cut out to be the main guy. Something like that. I don't know if yeah. you remember that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was something like that, and it seemed like he was in the perfect situation in Oklahoma. So, but let's say he does become this, you know, transcendent one-on-one scorer, and he has <laughs> Zebo and Marcus all setting screens for him just at the top, the top of the key. Who who has like an answer for that? Uh, just changes the dynamic, and then Blake Griffin doesn't leave. He never leaves college, uh, which could be a good thing or a bad thing. I don't know. He ends up just going to Oklahoma City. Um, and shit, you go from Oklahoma to Oklahoma City. I don't know if that's good or bad for him. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, yeah. A lot of things would have been different. I don't know. If, I don't know what Harden looks like in Memphis throwing entry passes to Zebo and Marcus Hall. Mm-hmm. Rather than coming off the bench. I always, I always find it interesting, though, what would have been 
if OKC would have traded him to Washington and got Bradley Beal back. Mm. Oh, that what? was yeah. That was up there. That mm-hmm. was like proposed before they traded him to Houston, but the Wizards didn't want to do it. And I remember though, I, I think both teams would have been in that trade. Yeah, no, you know what? I, I actually do. Now that you mention it, I do uh, in the back of my mind remember that. Um, but at the time, you know, I was never a huge Bradley Beal fan and probably until the last two years. And I still have my questions about Bradley Beal, but you're right. I mean, getting Bradley Beal back instead of Kevin Martin uh, and miscellaneous would have 100 percent been a a better win for Oklahoma City. Uh, Keeping James would have been the ultimate win for them. But, you know, obviously, (laughs) whatever. They fucked that one up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Feel like that. That was like the easiest move. Yeah, but I don't know why they didn't do it. Yeah, I, I, who, who? I mean, you know, amongst as good as Sam Presti has been, um, there have it, there's been questionable stuff. You know what I mean? You could say at the least there are things that are questionable, which honestly is better than fucking out in brand. Um, so not to bring the Sixers into it, but you know what I mean? Like Jesus fucking Christ, I'll take the questionable one-offs over uh, yeah. the the ones that are like you just got here and fucked it up immediately. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, how about, how about mm. four? Should I, I give my four? I think my might be a little controversial. But you know what's funny know. is 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 if you're saying that now, I think we're gonna have the same four. Go ahead. Who do you have at four? <laughs> I have Drew Holiday. All right, I got Drew too. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, how can listen? Um, uh, I, I mean, we'll, we'll just lump these together. I think these guys are in the same tier. So I have Drew and Demar four and five. Is that what you got? Yeah, me too. Yeah, I mean, I think listen. There's an argument for sure. You could argue that we're getting cute by putting Drew four, but I think it's really important that really over the last two years, especially. Um. I think if you had the conversation right now, people over the last two years would take Drew. Drew has aged really, really well because of the defense, because he's a combo guard who can play the one or move off and play the two, as we've seen in in New Orleans. Whereas DeMar, uh, yeah, he, he I, I mentioned this on a different podcast that I think it would be interesting to see the ball in DeMar's hands more. You know, make him a combo guard, make him handle the ball a little bit more. Um I, that was never going to happen in pop system necessarily. Um, but, you know, it, it just hasn't been going well over the last couple of years since he got to San Antonio. So I, I think Drew at four is right. Yeah, I mean, just I, like for me, like just the, that Swiss Army, like the ultimate blue guy mm-hmm. who's like could probably fit in on really every single NBA team mm-hmm. and still be helpful, but also be like good enough to possibly be an all-star mm-hmm. while doing any role you have him doing. Yep. You know, whether he's your point guard, whether he's your guard, your primary uh, perimeter defender, and like, uh, you know, a spot-up shooter. And like you play in particular a few years, he's been able to spread his wings a little bit more and been healthy. New Orleans, mm-hmm. and he gets grown man buckets. Mm-hmm. Like he's taking up guards to the basket. He's not out running them or out jumping them. He just put on a hip, putting them on his hip and scoring anyway. Mm-hmm. Like not not exactly like Kawhi, but like I'm gonna do this at my speed, and you're gonna be here for the ride. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
that's gonna, that's gonna last forever. <laughs> like, feel like he actually hurt her. Do that for like five more years, and still be a spot of shooter. You still run your offense and be a really, really good defender. He's guarding like four positions sometimes, mm-hmm. depending on who's out on the floor. Yep. And that's and like the the lesson that the Warriors reminded us, Popovich taught us in the early 2000s, is that versus is actually like Peter back. Well, like when you have five guys that can do everything, primarily score, but they could also get a friend, you can you can shut down one guy, but you can't shut down all five. Mm-hmm. And like you got five Drew Holiday ass players, like you know, really, really good teams. Yeah, you So this mm-hmm. is part of me just wishing that he on the Sixers. Yeah, I mean, which, you know, we talked about. Now, listen, again, I'll apologize formally to Ben Simmons. I've traded Ben Simmons for Drew Holiday a few times (laughs) over the last two years, Um, mostly when Ben was pissing me off. But but to to your point, you know, Drew fits. You you don't need to question whether Drew fits here or there. He would make any basketball team better. Um, if, If you put him, I mean... Yeah, he makes any team better. Even on guard-centric yep. teams like the Thunder, if you make him the third guard on the floor with Chris Paul and SGA, well, you still win there. Yep. Any team yep. he literally makes better, whereas DeMar, you're questioning, well, does he fit here? Where does he fit? I mean, he's a... I had made this crazy comparison a few years ago. I don't know if you remember. I had said DeMar reminded me a lot of MJ in the way he operated in the mid-range. Uh, and he still kind of does, just doesn't have the efficiency, though, and doesn't have the defense. Um, he just doesn't bring enough. He doesn't put enough on the floor uh, to make him necessarily worth it. I don't know if we'll ever see another successful DeMar season, honestly. Yeah, it's interesting. He's also not as good as a rebounder. As D- yeah, great point. Or playmaker. Which also, yeah, which also doesn't like doesn't help. A lot of, like, it's also, the fun part about the quarantine is that we get to watch all the games that, especially me, but you got to, like, it's really not happening. While, like, Bart, MJ, even sometimes grab forward and then go that in four feet. Mm-hmm. And, like, how that puts so much pressure on the the other team's best off player, and in cases like a shit off there, didn't get the floor. Trent and Seth, DeMar doesn't. Yeah, for sure. DeMar's not grabbed before, go, not get total rebounds. Their pre-game is only four. And like MJ had multiple seven plus. Yeah. Um, we put up win shares and four for the other I guess I want to say to bring it up that mm-hmm. Lamar does have a significant higher win share, but he also like much, 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 much better teams. Mm-hmm. For sure. Much better teams. Like, if you put Drew on those Toronto teams, I don't see how that could be different, if not for Toronto. Yeah, and DeMar has also not really been injured much, I think, which is also a point. I mean, he's played 100 more games than Drew, essentially. Um mm-hmm. You know, Drew has had a lot of injury concerns. Obviously, he had the thing with his wife. Uh, was that last year, I think, mm-hmm. that happened, where he, you know, was out for the first, like, month and a half, two months? Um, so, so you know, it, it just less opportunity to have a higher win share number 
in a, in a hundred less games, I think that number closes just a little bit more um, if Drew plays those games. But I mean, I, you know, again, Drew has aged really, really well. Um, on this, it's a shame because you know th- this New Orleans team is going to be fun to watch if the NBA ever comes back in the history of mankind again. Um, <laughs> You know, like next year's New Orleans Pelicans are going to be a team to watch. You know what I mean? It's not going to be a sexy pick to say, well, the Pelicans can be the fifth seed or something like that, having a full season of Zion, having Drew Lonzo rounding in the form the way he has been. Um, and, and, And it's very telling that teams were trying to get Drew from New Orleans. And all the reports are essentially saying New Orleans was just like, no, um, not a not a uh, uh, no, no, uh, whatchamacallit, no back and forth, no bartering, uh, just no, a flat no. So that tells you a lot about Drew. DeMar, I think the Spurs would trade him right now for a bag of chips and a Coke, um, <laughs> you know, because it just, 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 you know, isn't enough. And props to Masai, who, you know, DeMar loved, beloved by Toronto, lo- beloved by Cal Lowry. Um, and Masai just saying, nah, I'd rather have one year of the chance of the possibility of one year of Kawhi than have five more years of DeMar getting checked out in the, in the first two rounds of the playoffs. Yeah, man. And, but so, I just want to be fair to DeMar that I think though, in the right setting, he could be a very productive player. And as like, you're like third score, mm-hmm. um, I don't, all the time, man, I can't think of any that would be. But yeah. I think there's a, there's a world where there, that is a, a possibility. But he has to get better, though, or like his abruptly to an end. Mm-hmm. If it's like mm-hmm. he doesn't become uh, like a consistent, like 35% three point shooter, mm-hmm. and you got to be a much better defender, he could be. Uh, and you got to rebound more. Yeah. Like you have to be essentially a small forward for the rest of your career. That's a, that's a, that's a, you, you know, you know, I've mentioned this on a previous podcast. For some reason, I think the destiny for him is on the Nuggets. Um, replace Gary Harris with DeMar DeRozan and you, you move, you get the opportunity to move. Um, uh, what's his, <laughs> I don't want to laugh about this. Uh, uh, what's his face off the ball a little bit more. Uh, Jamal Murray. Oh, Jamal Murray. Yeah. You get to move him off the ball a little bit more. Uh, and then down the stretch when they need a basket, you have DeMar to go to who can, you know, infamously get to the line. I mean, that was his best was getting to the line 10, 11 times a game in his most successful Toronto season. So um, but during the rest of the game, the offense is being operated solely through Joker, pretty much. Um, and I think that is probably the best case scenario for him. Um I, I don't know why I think that makes so much sense. I just don't see any other place where he fits. Yeah, I, I didn't sit down with I don't know if it's anywhere. Well, I just think that, to be fair to him, there a year before that happened, but I just don't know if it's this one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, so All right, let's so jump to the next six. pick. Yeah, six. Uh, no, uh, six. Yeah, six. All right, so I think now we'll probably start getting a little a little wonky. Mean? All right. You might, get, you might be surprised with my pick, I think. Oh, shit. We might be in a... We'll see. We'll see. I got Ricky Rubio going six. <laughs> yeah, I mean... <laughs> yeah, I said it. I think we're either going to be really, really close or we're going to be really, really far. Um, so this doesn't surprise I, me that much. Well, I know you were going to be a little surprised because I was not a Rubio fan. 
Yeah, I mean, and yeah, I was a bigger Rubio fan f- than you yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's true. That that's true. That's true. But it's just not a lot of argument um, here. And, and to also add, so Drew would have gone to Sacramento. That means Demar and Ricky end up going to Minnesota together, which means there's no shooting in the first two years, essentially from their their backward. But you know what? There was no shooting I- I- anyway because they had Rubio and fucking Johnny Flynn. Um, yeah, you know and what I mean. Rubio didn't even get there for a little bit for for a couple it. years. Yeah, yeah, he had to get his paying contract worked out. But and shooting wasn't like a thing like it was yet. Like it's it's mm-hmm. crazy to remember to think about it in these terms. But ten years ago, there was not there was no Rocket Golden State team shooting up more twos. I mean more threes than twos. And like. Because I recently just finished Brawl Ball, the Chris Goldberg book, mm-hmm. and it's like the numbers are staggering mm-hmm. in just like five years, how things have changed, in particular like with bigger players. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's a conversation for a different time. But yeah, uh, Rubio grew on me because he did get better as a player. Mm-hmm. Um, he's still not a great shooter. A lot of that though is like his unwillingness to shoot shots mm-hmm. a lot like uh, your favorite player, Ben Simmons. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've traded Ben for Ricky Rubio a few times too. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> but though, and though, he actually is a better defender than he looks like he would be. Mm-hmm. Like you see Ben Simmons, you're like probably locked up ninety percent of the league. You see, Rubio, he's kind of gangly, like all over the place. A lot more like. He seemed more awkward very early, but then a lot like passing is like a lot of really good patience because on mm-hmm. So like uh, those dribbles, yeah, in the passing lane, and it's still like going along to be a, a point guard, you know, or whatever. Yeah, for sure. Um, uh, yeah, for sure. His pass and his passing, man. You want to play with a guy like? Yep. You want to play with a guy like that, where like, and this guy I'm out is a little bit more of the opposite. I think, actually, I don't know, five, six years ago, I probably had Rubio or spot where now, but he's still by too, and you and like teams are trading for him, particularly when like they don't have like a lot of great offensive players, which shows that like you can like offense. Mm-hmm, for sure. That that I think is probably uh, the best thing about him, which is much like how we describe Lonzo in his best terms, is that this is a point guard who, if you need him to handle the ball constantly, you can. You can put the ball in his hands constantly. But in reality, their best um, their their best role is is just being a playmaker. Uh, I don't even know how to explain it, where, where, where these guys don't need to handle the ball to be successful all the time, but you could still have an offense kind of running through them as the point. Um, and it, like, like for example, how we've talked about Russell before, Russell Westbrook, where where it redefines the idea of an assist as an unselfish um, stat. You know, a guy who gets a high assist, that means he can't be selfish, when in reality... Uh, the fact is, he's hunting for the basket to come off of his immediate pass. So that 
does make him selfish. Uh, but it'd be interesting to see how a guy like Ricky Rubio or a guy like Lonzo, not only do they get assists off of that that immediate pass, but how many hockey assists do they get to in a game? Um, that's just based off of them making the extra pass because they know it's the right pass. Um, and that is the beauty of Ricky Rubio. Yeah, be fair with him. Is a like an eighty eighty five percent shooter, mm-hmm. like die for bang what you do and, for sure. Um, uh, his three point isn't like big, is better than West, Westbrook. Mm-hmm. He doesn't he, he doesn't take many Westbrook either. Yeah, but it's it's an overall four percentage. Uh, Westbrook percentage was murderous. Yeah, like that is not good stretch for any player um so yeah so i mean i think that's i think uh so the next uh i'm gonna just say the next two guys i have after rubio i think they're going to be similar although i think this is going to get a little bit cute here because i fucking don't like jeff teague but i have uh after rubio i have collison and jeff teague next darren collison yeah oh okay yeah not I have Jeff Teague and Ty Lawson. Jeff Teague and who? Ty Lawson. Really? Ty Lawson? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. I don't even have Ty Lawson getting drafted in this draft. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I know I know Ty Lawson had his he had a successful moments uh, in his career. Yeah. Uh there was yeah. a time where he seemed like he could be a really, really good scorer uh in the NBA. Um, but just the, the, the fact that his career ended the way it did is kind of like, I mean, if we're doing a redraft, do I want like the three or four good years of Ty Lawson or do I want like Darren Collison, who's just going to be a solid point guard, uh, like a point guard I don't have to worry about is kind of how I view it. Yeah, I, I get that. Uh, for me, uh, I think it's a lot smaller guards and the, the shelf life is very long. Mm-hmm. Like, once your athleticism starts to play, like, what's next for you? Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, I think of, like, Paul Marlboro, I think Steve Francis. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though they were different athletes than Ty Lawson, all each three of them being different athletes from each other, all the same. Yeah. Or even once the, once the speed and quickness started to become more human, like what else do you have? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but 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 Ty was like twenty a night for a few years. Mm-hmm. Like maybe not exactly twenty. But you could guarantee it twenty night. And he's very similar, ironically, you know, on these Denver teams were like like the sum of the were equal than any sort of individual. Yep. Um, but then I also though I think that had to do with a lot of surroundings. Mm-hmm. So like we believed for a very long time that George Carl was this one coach. Mm-hmm. And I still think he was a very, very good long successful career in that But then after that book came out, yeah. And then we start to learn more about as a just as a person who and myself who hasn't had the luck of having a lot of great coaches or been around other great coaches and sitting at that aspect a player. Mm-hmm. Like just saying a few things can completely turn can completely turn a player against you. Mm. Um, 
and even though in, in like, I guess the big picture, and like Ty Lawson not playing well is only really hurting himself. Mm-hmm. But if you don't feel like the organization or the people who are supposed to have your back do, then it, 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 there's a conflict of interest. Mm-hmm. Like, certain, um, so like, uh, you know, with like the Cavs, right? They just, I was, uh, what's his name? Uh, Beeline. Mm-hmm. After like half a season. Yeah. Because it was, they couldn't take him. Yeah, no, um, that's a great point. And I was watching, uh, not recently, but years ago when that team was still together with George Carl. And it was like, a behind-the-scenes sort of, I forget what the NBA called it, but, or not. So they're inside the locker room, mm-hmm. inside the practice facility. Everybody's mic'd up, and they're acting like cameras are not there. Um, and, like, George Carl had this weird thing where he was, like, and, then like, in in the time, I'm like, oh, this is kind of cool, but then after the time, it's like, oh, like, so weird. He would kind of, like, passively convince, try to convince somebody on his team that they were the leader. Hmm. So this is the, uh, you know, Dana Day, Ty Lawson, all those guys. And that's, this is where JR originally, too. Yeah. Um, and he's, like, but he's, like, narrow to himself and that he's being recorded. Like, oh, man, i got to find a leader. I'm going to go, you know. Watching practice today, you know, I think I also need a leader if I'm going to do well. Who the fuck are you talking to? <laughs> like, first of all, and then, and then brings Ty Lawson over and he's like, hey man, you know, I, like, I need you to do this. You know, it would look really good team if you're doing this and doing that. And Ty's looking at him, he's like, all right, coach, I got you. But, like, you could just feel the, the awkward, the mm-hmm. uncomfortableness of it all. Hmm. And it's like, no, it might be really weird playing for that guy. <laughs> like, so, uh, oh, I could play for that guy. Uh, I mean, I think I get the onus is on him, but I at the peak of Austin, it, on my team with the right coach, the peak of Lawson takes farther than the peak of you guys with, except the one Lawson. Mm-hmm. Um, I even think the peak of Lawson is better than Jeff Teague, but I think Jeff Teague is another one of those guys that his versatility and like being very malleable is more valuable than the skill of being able to score like Lawson. Mm-hmm. Like put Jeff at his prime, I could put him on a bunch of teams and he helps me right away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's fair. I think my dislike for Jeff Teague uh, plays a role in why he goes <laughs> after Darren Collison. Um <laughs> But and and also to be clear, uh, so your points about Ty, I mean, they're great. There's no argument there. You know what I mean? Honestly, mentioning George, I didn't think we would talk about George Carl on this podcast. Um, but yeah, George Carl seems like a raving lunatic who might might be a little bit of a racist. Um, oh, yeah. So you could see, you could definitely see how um, how a player could lose his way playing with him there was never a lot of great glowing reviews and i think it's important to it's very important every star that he's coached now has to be looked at in a different light what happens to sean Kemp in his career now you almost wonder well how much does shit shitty coaching in the formative years of his life have to do with how he develops into a man kind of later on 
that his career falls apart, how we view uh, Carmelo and stuff like that, I, I think it's a good point for sure. Um, so I, I don't think there's a wrong argument. I, I Again, he and, and the other piece that's important is at this spot, this is going to Golden State. Uh, so Darren, Darren or Ty Lawson are going to be successful uh, with what happens kind of over the next few years there. You know what I mean? They build a culture of good leadership. Now, a lot of that has to do with Steph, too. Um, but if you ask Joe Lacob, it has to do all with his genius. So I don't know. You know what I mean? And then for next, but then the next, so Je- we both have Teague going to the Knicks, though, that means, uh, which means Teague fails immediately because there's just no hope there. I mean, it's just, there's no, more to your point, this is a shitty situation uh, for Jeff Teague. To go to the Knicks, I mean, I guess he becomes the starting point guard for Carmelo, whatever that means. Uh, no, Carmelo's still on Denver at this time, so I, I, I don't yeah. even know. I don't even know what happens to Jeff Teague, honestly. I, I don't think, uh, I don't think God knows the answer to that question. Uh, I just know that I'm pretty sure it doesn't work out that well. Yeah, I mean, he probably would just end up a guy who was on the Knicks for like eight years, and then like for two contracts essentially, and then gets traded or leaves. And then people are like, oh, this guy's actually pretty good mm-hmm. when he finally goes to another team. Yeah. Um, all right, so. All right, so. I, I had Jeff T. I had Ty Lawson. You had Jeff T. You had Darren Lawson. Yeah, I had, I had, after Ricky, I had Darren, then Jeff Teague. Um, all right, so I. I Darren and then Jeff Teague. Okay. Yeah, I have Darren and then Jeff Teague. Okay, all right. Who's in the who's in the hangar? All right, so ninth going to Toronto, where he won a championship. I have Danny Green. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I don't think that's that surprising. Uh, right after ah. Danny, let's see if we're we're in sync, simpatico here. I have Danny then Patty Mills. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. I have Pat Beverly. Oh, I don't have Pat Beverly getting drafted, but I have him on my bubble in the top fifteen specifically. I don't have him in the top fifteen. But I have him on my bubble. I, I recorded four names that Ty Lawson didn't make, by the way. <laughs> but I've recorded four names that I have on my bubble of guys um, that that fall right after this top 15, pretty much. So I have Patty. Uh, you have um, Patrick Beverly. Um, we went two different sides here. I went with the offensive version of Patrick Beverly. You went with the defensive version of Patty Mills. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. I do want to say so about Danny Green. So I, uh, no, I'm a college basketball fan, mm-hmm. um, and I vividly remember Danny Green mm-hmm. in, at Carolina. Okay, actually, I remember all the old Carolina guys because this year Villanova lost uh, to Carolina, and that pissed me off. <laughs> um, but anyway, and Danny Green did not even look like he was. Good at basketball at North Carolina. And, like, if you remember Danny, like, early in his career, he was famous for being the guy who danced on the bench with LeBron James. Mm-hmm. Not because he ever did anything on the floor. In fact, he never really played ever. He was uh, released by the Cavs, like, with a journeyman. Yep. Played on the, the then D League team of the Spurs eventually, and they brought him up to the actual Spurs. Yep. And it became what he became. But he was never good at anything. Nope. Like basketball related. Even at Carolina. He was like, this is back when Carolina and like college basketball teams were built a lot more like NBA teams. Mm-hmm. Where like the lineups 
in particular for the the major major uh, conferences and teams were enormous. Mm-hmm. So like you have six nine six yeah six ten centers. You have these six nine power forwards, six six small forwards, like very much like what NBA is today, basically. Mm-hmm. So Danny Green was like a small forward slash power forward. But, like, really didn't ever do anything. And, like, whenever he scored, it was a lot of his transition. But, like, he just, he just he just moved so mechanically. He never shot jump shots. And so when he got dressed, I'm like, oh, yeah, he'll sit on someone's bench and die. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially he got picked well into the second round. Mm-hmm. Um, but he worked his ass off yep. and became, like, a very, very good NBA player. In fact, like, and you know this, when this summer so bad mm-hmm. I thought he was like the replacement for him but you still get for credit where you some shooting but you actually get a, a big defender mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah he would have been the perfect replacement for JJ yeah but you know no yeah we're not out on brand for sure yeah <laughs> Pat Beverly though for me um, and I, I'll, I'll be honest I definitely him and Patty Mills because I adore Patty Mills. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't probably want maybe my uh, my love for him was like him in my mind it's too high. But Pat, I think he's another guy like utility uh, on it is very very valuable. Where he's obviously a very very tough defender. He's an okay shooter. He can bring the ball to the floor, and that's like an incredibly undervalued skill across basketball at every single level. Mm-hmm. It seems so simple, in particular in the NBA, where there's not a lot of pressing and not, not a lot of pressure most of the time. Mm-hmm. But it's actually not. Yep. Like being able to dribble the ball, like, I don't know, uh, 60 feet when everybody is watching you. And everybody is trying to get an advantage. Like, at any point, the double team can shoot out at you. Like, yeah. Now, I know I'm not, I feel like I'm not articulating this incredibly well, but being able to bring the ball to the floor and passing it to your best player in the position he wants to get mm-hmm. it, rather than the guy dribbling up the floor, putting in something, or passing the ball and holding it back where he needs it, is like, it's life altering. It's life altering. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I, I've, I've always had this love hate relationship with Scotty Pippen. Although I cannot argue that he is a, was a great player, mm-hmm. I think a lot of his greatness is because he got to play cool and with which with uh, like that's true of any player. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I get annoyed when people say like, "Oh, Michael was great because he played Scotty." Yeah, but I guess Scotty could bring the ball to the floor and initiate. Yep. Because up in the point, yeah, Mm-hmm. 
Well, and and one thing, what I will say about Patrick, uh, uh, to, to your point, one about dribbling up the floor. I mean, we saw the Sixers lose a game because we could not get the ball up the floor against Toronto when they decided to press. So you're right. I yeah. mean, I, what you're saying is 100 percent true. Having a guy who can just fucking get the ball up the floor uh, and, and and be able to make free throw shots. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Is an underrated thing. Uh, I told I told someone he was a three and D guy, and that guy thought I was insane when I said that. But he is. He shoots thirty eight percent for his career from three. Um, he he's an excellent player. The only thing that that holds me back from from Beverly is the injuries. You know what I mean? His injury history isn't great. Uh, he only plays eight years in the NBA because much like Danny Green, which I'll talk about in a second, is a journeyman. Uh, who finds himself out of the league a couple times, but then he only plays 400 games, career games, essentially. Yeah. So, um, so, so that's the only reason why I have him a little bit lower. We can only really work, you know, we can work with the data we have. Whereas Patty Mills um, only plays 670 games in the NBA, but you know, and to your point, one thing I do want to to mention here is that uh, the Patty Mills comes after a. A history of long backup point guards that the Spurs turn into guys that teams think are going to be really, really good. Um, some of them are. They have Dragic first, I think, if I'm not mistaken, before Dragic goes to the Suns. And Dragic has had a good career. But let's not forget they had Gary Neal. Gary Neal essentially immediately disappears uh, from the diaspora as soon as he leaves San Antonio. I mean, it's pretty much just over for him almost immediately. Uh, and Patty picks up right after that. So Patty could easily just be that same story again. Um but, you know, there's value to having a guy like Patty who who we've seen. I mean, he can just at any time can hit the biggest shot in the game. I mean, he's almost like Fred Van Vliet uh, before Fred Van Vliet has the kid. Nobody is like Fred Van Vliet after the kid. Um, but he is like pre-child Fred Van Vliet. Uh, and to your point about Danny, I mean, Danny is out of the NBA for a time. You know what I mean? Like, he yeah. he is a nobody before he comes back and bites LeBron in the ass, essentially. Almost, I, I mean, I've mentioned those first two games in the, the finals that the Spurs win. I think that's 14. Is that 14 or 13? Um, there's an argument. They win in 14. Yeah, so they win in 13. Yeah, yeah, they win in 14. So in that finals, Danny has an argument in the first two games to be the finals MVP before Kawhi completely takes everything <laughs> over. Um, yeah, he's been shooting like a ridiculous, like, from three or something yeah. crazy. Yeah, and like you said, he's a big guard. He guards multiple positions. Um, it, it just, yeah. So, so I mean, I think Danny being there is no surprise. He has one of the biggest jumps uh, for me in this draft. Patty Mills pretty yeah. much ends up with the biggest jump overall because he gets drafted 55 overall, and I have him mm-hmm. going 10th. Um, mm-hmm. So I don't think there's a wrong answer here with pa- Patrick Beverly or Patty Mills. I think it's I, – I, I, See, like, while we're we're at odds here, we're almost not at odds because, like I said, Patty to me is just the offensive reason of uh, offensive version of Beverly, Beverly the defensive version of Patty. But one thing about Patrick um, that I do want to say, the other piece about him that's undervalued is how many big rebounds he'll grab. I mean, he grabs massive rebounds, um, just kind of out of nowhere. He's just a undersized, big rebounding guard. Um, and that can change the the forecast of a game when you have a guy who just has that in him. You know what I mean? Um, so, yeah, uh, uh, we'll move on here. Uh, what, who do you so so who do you so I have Danny Green, then Patty Mills. You have Danny, then Patrick. Who do you have after Patrick? I have Patty Mills. 
Oh, yeah, Patty Mills. Okay, I have Taj yeah, I have Gibson. Patty Mills eleven. Okay, I have Taj Gibson going eleven. Yeah, I have Patty Mills, and I can't Taj going twelve. Oh, okay, okay. Well, so we're I, close. I would say I want to add on about Patty. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, his shooting has a whole lot of value. Um, but also, the, I think the difference between him and a lot of other backup point guards, I think, like, George Hills had, like, a fine career. Mm-hmm. Um, most of the rest of them haven't really done much. Patty, though, also has had a, an, an incredible Olympic career. Mm, good point. But, like, he's, he's been, like, the leading scorer in a tournament, period. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that also puts him in a different level than a lot of the other you know, backup Spurs point guards that end up just being a facade. Yep. Um, but Taj, it's just simple, just consistency. Mm-hmm. Like, um, this draft, because of the big name, um, will end up going down as, like, a really good one. But the rest of this lottery, like, after mm-hmm. after Lawson, like, we we're, we're, we actually stopped picking people who actually go, went in the real lottery. Yeah. Um, and well, like, I have one, I have one left from the real lottery, but we'll we'll get to him. Okay, we have we have like and Drew with our fourth overall pick, mm-hmm. and he went seventeen. Yep. Um. So, like, what I'm trying to say that a lot of these names actually were like nobody. Yeah. Ultimately, um. So, like, getting like starting power forward or even like a backup power forward center that can play as long as Taj has played mm-hmm. is, like, really good value. And you know what he's giving you. Yep. Uh, he never really got a lot better. Like, nothing in his game, like, became uh, a strength that was originally a weakness. Mm-hmm. But he still gave you 100% every single game. Mm-hmm. Solid rebounder, tough defender, always around the rim. Not a great jump shooter, but consistent enough in the mid range and can make some free throws. Mm-hmm. That, that's and what I was going to say. The free throws, he can make free throws. Make free throws, which for a big might be the most valuable skill now. Mm-hmm. It's kind of crazy, but making free throws might be the most important thing your power forward center can do for you in a current NBA offense. Yeah, and and one thing too. About Taj, just like I said about Patrick Beverly, Taj has a knack for grabbing the biggest rebounds of the game. Um, mm-hmm. When he was a big part of the Bulls, that success, I mean, he embodied everything about the Thibodeau era. You know what I mean? And in 25 minutes a game, he averaged nine and a half points and six rebounds. But if you extrapolate that over 36 minutes, it's a respectable big man. It's almost 14 and 10 um, mm-hmm. and two assists. So, you know, you could do worse than that. You could do far worse than that. Very serviceable big man. Um, very good defender. Could, could could guard fours and fives and even some threes, even though his foot speed didn't. Yeah, you know, his foot speed wasn't there, but the effort and the length was always there. So um, Taj, yeah, t- Taj is, you know, good for Taj, honestly. I, you know, I hated him for a long time, um, but you just couldn't really match the hustle. You know what I mean? Like, just had the knack for grabbing the biggest rebounds of the game. And a high win share, 52 win share. You know what I mean? That's impressive for a backup guy, for a career backup. All right, had some audio difficulty uh, with Vic. We're back on the line with him. So we were talking about Taj Gibson. What were you saying? 
I said that he won on he played on teams that won games. Mm-hmm. So that's a credit to him. I think when you uh, when you play significant bench minutes on teams that win, that, that's a credit to you as a player. For sure. For sure. I think that's a great point. Um, so so we're pretty much I have Taj going 11th. You have him going 12th. Is that right? Correct. All right. So next, I have James Johnson out of Wake Forest. Where, who do you have next? What, what, what pick are we at? Are we at, are we at your 12th or, my, or 13th? Uh, so uh, we're at pick uh, 12th. Pick 12th. Right? No, you have Taj Gibson 12th, right? Yeah. I'm sorry. I have James Johnson 12th. Okay, so, you have James Johnson. Yeah, I have James Johnson, 12th, out of Wake Forest. Uh, James Johnson, I, you know, not anything special. I'm going to rely on some per 36 minutes for him also. Played 21 <laughs> minutes a game for his career. Uh, also can fight. Uh, people are scared of him. You can't really uh, – you could do worse than a guy who can fight. You know what I mean? You need a guy that people are a little bit worried about. Um, his braids look dirty and filthy. You just don't want problems with James Johnson. <laughs> Um, in 21 minutes a game, he averages eight, three and a half and two assists, uh, over 36 minutes. Again, very solid numbers can defend, really can defend three, fours and fives in some situations, um, depending on the, 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 who, who the, the five that's in there, uh, 30% free throw, uh, a three point shooter, uh, just a solid player, solid defender, a solid pro, just a, a good guy to have, you know what I mean? Uh, on that Charlotte team. He, he would have gotten drafted to Charlotte, uh, which doesn't really mean much because that team was trash anyway. But, uh, you know, yeah. whatever. You could do you could do worst off. You know what I mean? Do you have James Johnson getting drafted? So not in my top 15. Okay. Not in my top 15. Now, James, uh, he's a kind of career backup. Mm-hmm. But, uh, I feel bad for James Johnson. I feel like he never really had the chance to mm-hmm. showcase his best skills. Um, I know we say this for a lot of people, but I just think he was more suited to be kind of like uh, Draymond Green light. Mm-hmm. Like he's not the same perimeter defender. Uh, in fact, I for think sure. he's very much so a power forward, mm-hmm. particularly today's game. He um, would have a lot of trouble guarding threes yep. that were athletic. Even somebody like Iguodala, who's not actually a scorer, but could definitely blow by him and then cause problems. For sure. Um, but I think, though, like, his best attribute was actually when he had the ball in his hand mm-hmm. and was able to create, to create. But he never seemed to really have that opportunity on most teams that he played on. Yeah. So and I think he actually could have been better. Um, but overall, like, him being sort of like an okay defender, an okay scorer, not a great shooter, even free throw shooting, not great like i think he's a first round pick in this draft especially when you got guys like byron mullins going mm-hmm. well, but not in not for me not in my first, not in my lottery i gotcha no and, and you know it's interesting because he got drafted by chicago and it's interesting he just couldn't find time on that team i mean you would think um at least more time i should say i it just seemed like he fit fits there very well he it wasn't really until he got to miami that people were like oh this guy's pretty good you know what i mean um but whatever uh so so that so james i have going 12th 13th yeah yeah that's that's a very good point thibodeau who was looking like a genius coach for a little bit now can't really find a job um yeah so 
it is what it is. Uh, so he's an old school coach. Yeah, Bird, it's kind of like a Larry Bird thing. Like I want to put the guys that can do exactly what I want them yeah. to do. Yeah, Very short, short term, not very big picture, and that's why guys like Larry Brown never last more than a few years mm-hmm. anywhere. And not a lot of offensive, uh, no offensive genius coming from them. Uh, you know what I mean? Not a lot of. Just doesn't seem like he has a lot of offensive ideas coming out of him. You know what I mean? Just, you know, yeah, he can get get you guys to play a lot of good defense, but offense is always suffer. So if you're if he can't convey defense to the group he's coaching, he sure as shit ain't gonna convey it offense to them. So um don't know what, what you're gonna get out of him. Um all right, so thirteenth, I have Damari Carroll. Who do you have thirteenth? I have Darren Collinson. Oh, you disrespectful. Um, do you have Damari Carroll getting drafted in this draft? Not in mine. Not in mine. And, and to, to be fair, well, not in my top 15. To be fair, though, I probably should have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll be honest know, with like, you. I started just, guy. I started kind of shooting off the hip here towards the end. Um, and, and in all fairness, started viewing... I tried to view the NBA as much as I could viewing it in today's logic, kind of. So a guy like Damari in his prime could have fit on so many different teams. Um, it, it just seemed like he came around a little bit too late necessarily. You know what I mean? Like Damari is just a guy who I, I don't even know what position he was playing at, at the time, but just just seems like he could have fit. He could have done a lot more on a lot of different teams if, had he gotten drafted five years later. Yeah, I mean, so the argument for Damari is a lot like my Ty Lawson, Ty Lawson argument where that although the, the the pine was short, the pine was very, very good. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would just say, like, Ty's pine was longer and I think would be, have been more helpful than Damari Carroll sort of two, three years on the Hawks. Yeah. Well, a lot of that was predicated on ball movement and people movement. And launching a bunch of threes mm-hmm. um, that, that Bud can kind of take with him everywhere he goes, it looks like. Yeah, pretty um, much. But, yeah, I agree. I think if he, if he started over today, he'd be a, a stretch four. And he'd probably be really good as long as he could stay healthy, which was the other thing. And the health went pretty quickly. And after that, it kind of came all crumbling down. Yeah, no, I, I think that's... Uh... That that's that's definitely a good point. I mean, health, um, health obviously plays a factor on all of this, but it just, it just, for, for example, could Damari could prime time Damari fit on this team if we're redrafting the draft right now, and the Sixers somehow get Damari Carroll, um, he would just be a better option. Uh, I mean, I, I'm not going to say, I, I'm a little, I'm just down on everybody and I'm going to say he's a better option than Toby, but he's not a better option than Toby, but just, you know, the idea of what he could provide just as a, a great option would be a great option on this team and a lot of teams in the NBA. I mean, just a solid defender can shoot and, you know, that's all you want from him. Yeah. And the very least, he's coming yeah. off the bench and adding some space. Yep. All right. So you have Darren Collison. Um, what, give me, give me a couple, give me a minute on Darren Collison. I mean, I, I think I like Darren for what he was. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think especially like this past year, which was really weird mm-hmm. with the whole sort of courting of Darren Collins. Yeah, very weird. Amongst all these like championship teams and they're like, oh, but if, what if they get Darren Collins? I might have like, yeah. Yeah. What if they get Darren Collins? <laughs> like, give this shit. Yeah. 
but like at his best, he was up just above a placement point guard. Mm-hmm. Um, at least in my opinion, like, I don't have all the advanced stats. I'm sure he had a few years where he looked really, really good. Mm-hmm. But most teams he went to, he started off as a backup. Something happens to the starter, and he just replaces the starter and can do adequately enough to win the starter for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but always been a minus defender. Mm-hmm. Um, never really a good finisher. Not really getting to the basket, which if you play today wouldn't be a huge deal. Yeah. Um, but again, he just did his job. And the things he did really well, he did well. So like the undervalued skill of bringing the ball up the court. Mm-hmm. Darren Collinson can do that for you and do it and put the ball exactly where you want to put it and didn't give a shit if he got the ball back. Yeah. Um, which was which is huge. Um let me see his three point shooting. Yeah, like career three point shooting under forty. Mm-hmm. Obviously can make free throws. Google percentage though was solid at, at just over forty seven percent. Um so he took good shot in the very least. Um and then five assists per game for being most of career backup is mm-hmm. actually pretty good as well. Um, and yeah. it's funny because at mm-hmm. UCLA, he was like the guy. Yeah, he was in front of Drew, right? Well, Drew was, uh, they started together. Okay. Drew was, uh, well, actually, he didn't always start. Mm-hmm. Drew was a freshman. Um, and he wasn't like, this is before the one and done thing. Mm-hmm. Became like everything. I gotcha. Like before, every lottery pick was a nineteen-year-old. 19 mm-hmm. Like this is like just before that. So like Drew would come off the bench sometimes. He would start sometimes. Um, he was a lot like how when Westbrook got drafted, also out of UCLA, mm-hmm. ironically, where he was like, "Man, this guy's like really gifted, but we just don't really know like what his game translate." Mm-hmm. Uh, with same way in Drew, where Darren Collinson was like. You know exactly what he is. Uh, college is different. Everybody's a little bit smaller, a little bit less athletic, a little bit less skilled, mm-hmm. or a lot of it in some cases. So he could dominate. Collinson could dominate, but he could never dominate in that field, particularly because of his size. Yeah. He was a, a smaller guard. But came into the league and always did his job. Mm-hmm. And I think there's something like, like a lot like Todd Gibson. And like, they're, they're only one pick away. My 12th pick is Todd's, and my 13th pick is Darren. Whereas that, uh, they're going to do their job, and you can count them to do their job for like ten years. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and that is valuable, even yep. if it is like being your backup point guard. He's going to do exactly what you ask him to do, and you know what he's going to be able to do and not do on offense and defense. And you just build your team accordingly. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think um, I think that's a great point. I mean, I, like I made my point about Darren. The, the reason I have him going high. Uh, is is just like you said at the end there, the value of having a guy that you don't necessarily have to worry about. He's not your superstar or your all-star, um, but you could do worse with a fourth-best player, for example, and you're starting five um, yeah. or a fifth-best player. Yeah. I, you know, I just there's just value there and say, all right, this is our point guard. Now let's, let's fill out the rest of the team. Um, and another guy who would pretty much just fit on any NBA roster right now. You know what I mean? Just would fit. And I think that was kind of the point where, where I, I don't think Collison necessarily helps the Clippers as much as he helps the Lakers, where the Lakers like were in desperate need of a backup point guard who could shoot a little bit because they're kind of stuck with Rondo a little bit. Um, yeah. So so their view was, well, Collison would be the best bet for us. Um, so, yeah, 
that makes sense. So you got Darren going 13, you said? Or 14? Correct. 13, okay. 13, so we got two picks left. All right, all right, all right. So straight out of Philly, I think he's out of Philly. I got Wayne Ellington going 14. Wayne, very mm-hmm. hilarious. Uh, yeah, so Wayne, I actually had his high school teammate, Gerald Henderson. Oh, okay. I have him right That's on my bubble. Yeah. Yeah, Henderson and uh, Ellington, they both went to Episcopal Academy, which is a school just outside of the city. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's one of those giant private Catholic schools that just have a ton of money. Mm-hmm. Um, so both of their their parents having money and like having some NBA ties sent them there together. Okay. And then one ended up going to Duke and the other one ended up going to UNC. Oh, what a story. It's like a War of the Roses. Yeah. Yeah. Except it's two man, male <laughs> I, basketball players. <laughs> I think. Let me see. Well, I mean, you know what? What's funny while you're looking at that up, the, I had I wanted to find a place to put in Gerald Henderson and Henderson in here, but another injury kind of riddled career for him. Um, that is what kept me out on him. Uh, also, when he went bald, it really confused me, and I didn't like the feeling of seeing him bald headed when he was here. Um, but. Uh, you know, Riddle career, uh, and also Wayne just fits the NBA today a little bit better than Gerald plays. Gerald was a, I like Gerald, um, but, you know, at his best was like the poorest version of DeMar DeRozan sometimes where he could take someone off the dribble and hit a nice little mid-range jumper uh, or yeah. get himself to the rim. Uh, but Wayne just fits in today's NBA as kind of a 3 and D guy, his defense not being too spectacular, but... Uh, just enough to hold his own and, and obviously just being, uh, you know, one of the better three-point shooters in the league at 38% uh, career uh, for his career, uh, you know, as a role player. Um, so that's why I have Wayne. I, it's funny because I think, like I, like I mentioned about the Patty Mills, Patrick Beverly thing, our differences are like, yeah, these the, we think these guys are the same on different spectrums, on different sides of the spectrum. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, which is kind of how I felt about Wayne. But I do have Gerald Henderson kind of right after Patrick Beverly on my bubble. Um, I wanted to find a way. But again, injuries kind of just just riddled his career a little bit too much. Uh, and again, the bald the baldy made me uncomfortable for, for too long. Uh, so, so I got him out of the top 15. Uh, for me, Gerald, uh, actually, his, I think his career gets remembered unfairly because he played on the Charlotte Hornets mm-hmm. for, like, ever. Yep. And he he played with Michael Jordan with, like, at the height of his control yeah. of the team. Not that a lot has changed, but everything. We're like, MJ would come to their practice and, like, fucking play Rising Sun with them. And like beat all of his current players, tell them how shitty they were, and then leave. So like, I just don't know how any of that is helpful for the growth of anybody. Um, but he was actually a very, very productive player on an awful team um, that ended doing nothing. And I think if he would have went to a different team, with, and I, I guess it's true about everybody, but I think in particular for someone like him, because he was still built for the NBA the way it was. Um, being like a very, very athletic two guard to get to the basket, mm-hmm. get free throws. I think a little bit of an underrated passer. Um, I think his career would have been a lot different where I think it was Wayne Ellington 
Like, although shooting was nowhere near the value in 09 it is in 2020, um, I think he got the same opportunity he would have got at any team at that time. Mm-hmm. And he still was just kind of like very solid. Mm-hmm. But like, way, um, I mean, uh, Henderson at his best in the, in the, 2010s, he's your second best offensive player in your playoff team. But he had to be the main option on a really awful team. I gotcha. That's that's fair. I think that's a fair point. Also suffered from the the confusion of having two Geralds on one team, Gerald Henderson, Gerald Wallace. They don't know which <laughs> Gerald to go to at any given time. Uh, so, you know, I can see how that could cause confusion yeah, for some Eventually, players. yeah, with the whole, both of those guys, which were kind of the same guy. Yeah, just, no yeah. yeah one, um, one was just bigger than the other. Was, yeah, and Henderson was also uh, a much better individual defender than Wayne Ellington. But, mm-hmm, for sure. Which I, I tend to value, I think, a little bit more than a lot of other people. Um, but okay, cool. So, what's what's your last pick then? All right. So my last pick, and we're gonna. This is a little cute. Um, yeah, mine is too. Oh man, so we might have the same last pick. We'll see. My last pick is Tyreek oh, Evans. Right. Oh, yeah, nah. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, not me for sure. <laughs> All right, what's your last pick? Oh, so that was the last, that was the uh, last. The last lottery, yeah. yep. Uh, mine is Dante Cunningham. Oh, Straight wow. Villanova. Okay. All right, so very give me a minute on Dante. All right, so, uh, I mean, Dante, very similar to a lot of other guys in this list because as you look back at the list, and I think we should actually talk about a few of these names before that, that actually did get drafted in mm-hmm. the lottery. But a lot of these names in the lottery that end up not really being anything. In fact, I think a lot most NBA fans wouldn't even really remember a lot of these guys. Um, I mean, the second, yeah, the, the, to, to your point, the second overall pick is Ashim Thabi. And while we yeah, obviously right. know him, um, yeah. He's he for the average fan. He's not known for any good reason. But even coming out of college, no one really understood why he was going second uh, at that yeah, time. That was, uh, like no uh, one thought that was a good idea. Nah, but more to the point of Dante. For ten, like he's going to be your backup power forward for ten years. He's going to rebound. He's going to make free throws. Mm-hmm. He's going to play defense, and he was actually a very very good pick and pop player which was basketball at this time mm-hmm. and kind of was even up to a few years ago okay um so like he's a guy that i think he was solid then because he played for as long as he did but then i think actually might be a little more valuable now because mm. he plays defense rebounds he's not an incredible uh rim protector um but a very good pick and pop guy, and if he was coming out of Villanova now, he would have been shooting threes. Mm-hmm. And For he sure, could have made them. Yep. Uh, and I, I mean, and I watched a lot of Dante Cunningham because I'm obviously a, a Villanova fan, and um, uh, other Villanova fans, well, real fans, would remember those years for the Scotty Reynolds mm-hmm. like scoring burst. But Dante Cunningham was equally as a four, like Scotty could not have done the things he did without a guy like Dante. Mm. And like I said, he played for a long time. Like You would just see him pop up on a lot of rosters, and whenever he got the chance to play, he would play well. And early in his career, he was basically the first or second big off any bench that he played on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, I th- 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 this is a, I think it's a great argument uh, for Dante, uh, uh, a forward-thinking argument. Um, I can't really argue against it. I just there's a piece of me that puts at 15 that puts Tyreek there because uh, part of partly for your argument uh, in regards to Ty Lawson going to George Carl. Um, Tyreek doesn't have a fair shake going to Sacramento, which has just always been a team in flux, essentially. Um, and, and there are times where when I look at Tyreek's career, I can't really decide if he came along too early or if he came along too late. Um, he was a ball dominant combo guard kind of to, you know, really just kind of this, uh, a two guard kind of, but handled the ball. Um, it's important to note that that, and I've mentioned this before. In his first season, he averages a twenty-five and five, which was only known yeah. to be done by like other great players, uh, and it yeah. falls apart kind of after that. Now, he's become a serviceable backup uh, in the NBA, which I think is important for him. Uh, a serviceable uh, uh, ball handling backup. He worked on his three-point shots at 32% for his career, uh, which was, it's bad, but was abysmal early uh, and has really yeah. gotten better over time. Um, but just kind of to your point about Ty Lawson, if you put him in a more stable franchise coming out of college, um, can we see more out of Tyreek Evans? You know what I mean? Um, there was a skill set there at a time, was a, a remarkable finisher, good ball handler, I, he, you know. It just just seems like he needs to be mentioned to tell part of the story of this draft because that first year he wins rookie of the year. You know what I mean? Amongst all these big names, now Blake doesn't play year one. Um, he cracks his kneecap, but amongst yeah. all of these guys uh, coming out of this draft, this draft isn't really spectacular. The first year, there's like Brandon Jennings who scores fifty that first year. Um, as a rookie, yeah, fifty-five. Yeah, as a rookie, uh, Drew Holiday looks good. Ty, Ty looks okay. Um, but ultimately, just you don't see a lot of production the first year out of these guys. Uh, but Tyreek looks like he could be transcendent year one, uh, and then it falls apart for him. Yeah, Tyreek. A lot. Of, very, very interesting. He, I'm pretty sure he went to high school in Pennsylvania. Hmm. Um. Because I remember people talking about him. Because 2009 is when I graduated high school. So mm-hmm. I remember hearing people talk about him when I was in high school. In particular, like some of my young, like my friends at the time, and like my teammates who would watch other high school basketball players. I never did that. But like mm-hmm. some of my teammates did. Then uh, YouTube also, this is like when YouTube, YouTube mixtapes of like NBA, of our high school players, like uh, highlights, mm-hmm. was also sort of like becoming a thing. Like anybody who was anybody had a mixtape. Okay. Like all of the ESPN's top 150 guys had like, a, you could go on YouTube and watch them. So it was awesome because you could see guys like going against like uh, Derrick Rose. Like in an AU game on YouTube. Yeah, and you know what? To your point, not to cut you off, but yeah, he was born in Chester. Yeah. 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 So he went to he went to high school in Chester. Mm -hmm. It was like a a, a, uh, something with American high school title. Yeah. But he um and those mixtapes, you're like, oh man, this dude is fucking enormous, Mm -hmm. and he's like handling the ball, right? And then, and he's like driving by everybody, laying everybody out. Uh, the thing is about the mixtapes, 
everybody looks like they can shoot in them because they show the only four jumpers you make yeah. <laughs> in your mixtape, right? So, you were like, oh man, his jump shot looks weird, but he's making it, so mm-hmm. that's cool. Um, and then he goes to Memphis for that one year. Mm-hmm. And you watch him, and you're like, okay, cool. Like, he's doing basically what he did in high school. But then you start to realize, like, more than he did against high school because he was like fucking six seven going against guys like me, five nine, five ten. Yeah. Um you're like, oh, he's like super right hand dominant. Like I didn't see him go go left in twenty games. Mm-hmm. Or like he'll get to the free throw line and kinda of dribble around instead of just taking that just jump shot there. Um and when he doesn't have the ball very much like James Harden now. Yeah. He, wasn't doing anything. Like, he was basically non-existent. Mm-hmm. Um, so that 25-5 and five he got in that first year in Sacramento was a lot of the byproduct of having the ball. For sure. And, like, I, I hate to say this because this, uh, it's, like, a, not a great memory for us at this point, but I remember Tyreek Evans more Michael Carter-Williams. Mm. So like, he kind of just, he had the ball in his hands on a really bad team. And the difference between basketball and almost every other major sport is like you still are going to score 80 points even if you fucking suck. Yeah. Right? Somebody has to score because it's the game, the rules have changed so that you have to score points. Yeah. Four second shot clock, inch, game, all of it, right? Um, so, like, you put a lot of dudes in that situation. Maybe it's not exactly five, but it's, it's up there. Yeah. Um, and he never got better. Mm-hmm. From that high school mixtape I saw since to most of his career, literally the same exact guy. I'm tall, I'm lanky, I'm really, really good with my right hand. Mm-hmm. I have this really nice hand on the and I have a quick step. So if I see you out from the free throw line, and I take two big steps, I'm at the rim. Mm-hmm. It's like once everybody else figured this shit out, it was like, okay, we'll sit down now, Tyreek. Yep. No, you're right. They also mm -hmm. didn't that either. Yeah, no, you, you, I think you're right. I, I can't, I can't really argue against uh, uh, you shitting on my Tyreek Evans point at 15. Um, but you know what? That fucking in and out to the right hand is worth it enough to get him to the 15th pick at least. Uh, if you're drafting him in the top four and expecting him to be the best basketball player on your team, I think you've probably fucked yourself. Um, yeah. But if you're saying. He went forward. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. And instead, if he's a late, late lottery pick, uh, early pick for a, a a playoff team, uh, I think that's probably the best situation for him. You know what I mean? To kind of yeah. to kind of learn. Like like let's let's just let's move the draft. Let's move this draft to this year's draft, for example. Now the the war. This is not like a great example because the Warriors are going to have the first overall pick. Um, yeah. But let's say the Warriors took Tyreek Evans first this year. Um, I mean, that would be the perfect situation for him. You know what I mean? A guy who can handle the ball and create and has two, you know, all-time elite shooters next to him, uh, I would say you're you're in a, a good spot for him. You know what I mean? Whereas uh, he was asked to come in and be the best basketball player on a horrible team in the middle of a horrible franchise, pretty much. Um, so, 
you know, I got him 15. Who, who did you say? Oh, yeah, you had Dante Cunningham going 15. Um, did you have uh, any guys that you, any honorable mentions you want to mention? Yeah, a lot of guys that you already mentioned. So there is Tyreek, uh, Brent Jennings, Wayne Ellington, Carroll, James Johnson, and sixth grade Jody Meeks. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, so, so we, ha- we have almost all of the names. Uh, the only name I don't have is Ty Lawson, pretty much, and, and Dante Cunningham. Um, but I, in my honorable mention, I have Patrick Beverly, Gerald Henderson, Jody Meeks, and Brandon Jennings. Yeah. Yeah. Jody Meeks, man. His whole career, based off that one 54-point game minute. Yeah, <laughs> for, pretty much, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but um, you know what? In today's NBA is, is the perfect fit. I mean, still kind of undersized, though, but, um, you know, can help some teams coming off the bench. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he was still a knockdown shooter. Yep. I do know before we go, when I look at some of the names in this draft, because they bring back so many good memories. Mm-hmm. Um, Johnny Flynn <laughs> at Syracuse yeah. was incredible. Yeah, I, I do he remember was that. Incredible. I, and you know, I don't watch a lot of college, but I'll remember Johnny Flynn for having the most orange headband I've ever seen in my life. Uh, <laughs> it looked like he had a halo kind of running through Syracuse, but, but it was. It's, I think it's part of his image, you know what I mean? And then when he got to Minnesota, had a green, a bright green headband, and it didn't work out for him. Well, it's like the fit wasn't great, yeah. but also it's the same thing. as like it didn't seem like he got better right away. Yeah. Uh, where, like, a lot of these guys, right, they come in, they're lottery picks. All right, Vic, uh, more audio problems. All good. We're back. All right, so back to Johnny Flynn. Yeah, he was just, well, I guess more to the point, like, it didn't seem like he ever got better, in particular, as, like, an outside shooter. Mm-hmm. But the athleticism from, a, like, he was incredible. He was, like, like Steve Francis-level athleticism. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was super fun to watch mm-hmm. in college. Um, George Hill never, I mean, Jordan Hill. Yeah. Never was a Jordan Hill fan. Like, she was a beat. Uh, I know we kind of already touched on this, but my most vivid memory of him is when UConn played Pitt at Pitt, and DeWan Blair gave him like a 2020 mm-hmm. in college. I remember that. And it's like, okay, so why is he seem to be there in big second? Which, again, everybody kind of was like, what the fuck? Um, Terrence Williams, so the Louisville guy from the whole time, even in that, that, that season, were just kind of locked in as going to be good NBA players. Terrence mm-hmm. Williams and uh, Earl Clark. Because mm-hmm. they were like these huge, muscular, like athletic dudes. Yeah. But also had skill. Like Terrence Williams, people thought he'd come in and be like your point forward. Yeah. Um, but also like a very, very good finisher. Um, but just never put it all together. And the same thing with Earl Clark. Earl Clark was like, this high flying six nine six ten whatever he was like forward, but could fly like like elegant, mm-hmm. and also could knock down those elbow jumpers. Mm-hmm. So like you were just penciling those guys in as eventual starters and possibly all stars just off their physical gifts and like basketball awareness. Mm-hmm. And neither of them did anything. Like I remember, old Clark had a little bit of. Uh, like a 15 minute uh, at LA, like mm-hmm. the Lakers for a little bit. And yeah. I remember Steve Kerr 
<laughs> I remember Steve Kerr like, like being like really hyped to like talk about how great he was. Yeah. Playing because Steve was the one that drafted him in Phoenix. Yeah. But so everybody thought those guys were going to be good. Same thing with Austin Day at Gonzaga because he was like this really really big like. He's a forward, like six eight, six nine, but had guard skills. Yeah, uh, he was kind of he kind of moved like um, uh shit. The, this guy from the Chicago Bulls shooting guard. I don't know, I'm forgetting his name. Zach Levine. Yeah, he mm-hmm. kind of moved like a bigger version of him. Okay. Um, wasn't as like springy as Zach Levine is, but I just remember looking at him and like, man, this guy has like all the tools, and again, just. Couldn't put it all together. Yeah, Tyler Hansborough's hilarious just because every like few years there's a GM that gets that falls in love with the stumpy white dude who plays really hard. Yeah, and drafts him way too high. Yeah, way too high. Like Jordan basically drafted like the last three or four of them. Mm-hmm. But I remember like Tyler Hansborough and being like, "All right, like it makes sense. It's Indiana, but." Come on. <laughs> the the, the Come best on. thing, the, the thing that kills Tyler Hansbrough's career to me is that we don't have a GIF of him screaming weight room at anyone. Uh, <laughs> and if we had that, we would rem- remember Tyler Hansbrough a lot better than we do now. Um, yeah, yeah, it, yeah. I mean, I think th- those are the best names to call out. The only other name I would call out here uh a, c- a couple names. I'll say Rodrigue Boubois. The Mavericks thought he was the second coming for a little bit for some reason. I don't know if anyone remembers mm-hmm. that. Uh, and he he wasn't the second coming. He was the second to go out of this draft, out of the NBA. That's not completely true. There are people who leave, leave the NBA before him, but I just want to say that. And then yeah. uh, you mentioned his name earlier, Dewan Blair, who, uh, who gave his team to beat that 2020 with no ACLs present. Um, nice. Yeah, that's, and that's always incredible. We really thought he was going to be like, oh, he's going to help extend Tim Duncan's career uh, on the Spurs. It just it just never worked out for him. Uh, and I and one thing I do want to say, I think, and I might be wrong, I think Johnny Flynn actually did have a successful uh, career in Europe, if I'm not mistaken. I might be making that up, but I think he did overseas have uh, a, a successful career. I'm positive. Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure either either he had or is having one yeah, still. Just I had to go over. Yeah, yeah, I think he did. Um, yeah, off the map. Yeah. Eric Maynard had a very solid NBA career, too. Yeah, like, Eric Maynard's the fact, call. Mm-hmm. He, he kind of showed you what the offense could look like in OKC when Westbrook didn't have mm-hmm. the ball in his hands all the time. Yep. That's a great call. Um, because James was still exclusively a shooting guard mm-hmm. at this point, even though... When he was involved, when James, same thing with Eric Mayer, there was a lot more pick and roll, a lot more freedom of movement. Um, Nicolaitis, if you look down, I forget what pick he was. He was definitely in the second round. He was a point guard from Florida. Oh, 45th pick. Uh, his claim to fame is he didn't like the contract he was getting. Uh, I think it was either Minnesota or Memphis. So he. Basically, it was like I'm going. He went overseas and played in uh, Greece, and I'm pretty sure the team he played on got into like their version of him. He came back to the NBA, and while he was here, he got uh, he got caught taking uh, performance enhancing drugs. Mm. 
and then shortly after that, it was over. It's over. <laughs> yeah, I think he only played. Yeah, he only played two seasons in the league. Yeah, he did. Yeah. Yeah, no, there, there's a, a couple interesting names I think we've all seen probably at one time or the other. Jonas Jarepko, the the foreign Larry Bird, the next Larry Bird uh, yeah. for Danny Ainge. The genius that fucking Danny Ainge is. Oh, God, you know. Uh, Chase Bunninger, an incredible athlete. Um, yeah, Nando yeah. DiColo. Uh, Arizona. That Arizona team was kind of loaded. Okay, who else is on? Oh, yeah, yeah. So it's Chasen and James Harden, right, together? Or am I making that up? No, that's Nick. I mean, Vic. No. Oh, sorry. I thought you were breaking up. Uh, am I? Harden went to Arizona. I have Arizona State. State. I suck at colleges, yeah. so. Uh, yeah. No, Arizona State is is like the little brother. Okay. Arizona has like the. The, the like the gold standard basketball history in the state of Arizona Got in it. colleges, like Mike Bibby, uh, Iguodala, like a lot of really really good NBA players. Richard Jefferson, okay. a lot of like really good NBA players went to Arizona. Richard Jefferson, who thinks uh, Tim Duncan is overrated, you mean? Yeah, but that's because he hates the Spurs. Yeah, he's an asshole. I, he also didn't win a championship for for he didn't win one with Timmy, so I think he he probably whatever fuck Richard Jefferson. I mean, I like him as an announcer, but whatever. Yeah, I mean, who cares? <laughs> yeah. Uh, the only there was one other name. Oh, I already talked about Byron Mullins. I'm, oh yeah. I'll never forget Byron Mullins, his big stupid ass. Yeah, he was he was never never uh, never good. Uh, another he was a very good college player though. What about all of these guys? I guess are good college uh, players. He was alright. Yeah. I think he was a freshman when he came out. Okay. Too. He was just huge. He was seven foot. Yeah, there's a he reason why I remember Byron Mullins, and I can't think of it right now. Uh, and then okay. not why I remember. I remember all these guys, but there's a reason why Byron Mullins is something to me. Uh, and I'll remember it for my next podcast because there's something. There's like some headline that I'm forgetting about about Byron Mullins. Yeah. Well, we have uh, Sam Young, who eventually became a sixer. Mm-hmm. Um, what's his name? Uh, I just, oh, uh, Marcus Thornton, he ended up becoming uh, Tyreek Evans' running mate for yeah. a while. Yeah, he, and, and another good pro, had a good career, honestly. Yeah, he was solid. Yeah. He actually would have been more in demand today. Than, Prob- and, yeah. And then Robert Dozier, the very last pick of the draft, he was Tyreek Evans' teammate, and he kind of was like like Montrez Herald now, mm. where just like, not incredibly big, which what hurt was what hurt him in two thousand and nine. Mm-hmm. But like very active, springy, rim ran really really hard. Gotcha. Um, but he was like considered like uh, Amari Stoudemire light, but but not but Amari Stoudemire though even then was kind of like very unique. Yeah, for sure. Like he didn't have a lot of skill around the rim, which hurt him in 2009, but today... Yeah, would have been. Yep. They would have found a place for him. Yeah. Yeah. I think he ended up actually just playing for the Rockets, too. Probably. Oh, that does sound to me right. Maybe not. I don't know. No, but you know what? Um, Yeah, I think that's a great point. I think the only thing, the thing I'll take away from this draft to that point uh, is, is, is part of, again, what makes this draft so... Uh, 
so impactful is at this point, I still don't think the majority of the league knows exactly what they're doing when evaluating talent like they do today. You know what I mean? I think today you would see a lot more of these guys not get drafted. Uh, Not to say that this doesn't happen every year, but it's just finding a place for some of these guys. Uh, Some teams would have been smarter than others, I would say, uh, than they were in 09, considering where the league has gone now. Yeah, I mean, a lot of these non-shooters would not be yeah. so high. All right, Vic. Well, I appreciate you coming on the podcast. Uh, I think this was a great exercise. Uh, we will have another podcast next week. Uh, we'll figure out which topic we're going to talk about. Uh, until then, uh, everyone, we'll see episode 24 coming out. Vic, is there anything you want to plug? I don't think there is, but is there? <laughs> <laughs> no, man. I'm just... Really happy and really proud of you for doing that. I appreciate that. Uh, I will say pay pay teachers. Huh? Pay fucking teachers. All <laughs> uh, right? Uh, yeah. w- pay teachers. Wash your fucking hands. Stay in the house, everybody. Be safe out there. I uh, will see you next time. Justice for the blind, just something that'll find in the rhymes that are coming from my mind. Used to come in-